You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 77 with Dana Snook. We live in a culture highly focused on diet and changing our bodies and focusing a lot on that. And what we're finding and what I'm seeing in my private practice when I'm working with clients one-on-one is we're seeing more and more kids coming in with disordered eating and eating disorders. And really a lot of it, when we, we look back, when we look at what these early issues around... Welcome to the Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker, and I love travel. So I love to ask everyone, what is your favorite vacation spot that you have gone to and why? And this can be with or without kids. Oh, that's a good one because I love to travel. Uh, So I think that Mexico has like a, it's a good place in my heart. Um, My husband and I actually had a destination wedding. And the first time we have, first vacation we ever took together, we went to the Riviera Maya. And then what happened was I was laying there watching weddings while uh we were (laughs) having (laughs) drinks by the pool. And I looked at him. We weren't even engaged yet. So I probably freaked him out. And I said, we're going to get married here. Oh, wow. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, luckily, he probably had a few drinks. So he took it with stride. <laughs> and uh, about, I guess it was a year and a half later, we got married there. So that holds a special place in my heart just because it was our fl- first place we ever went to get to and also where we got married. That's awesome. So that's uh, near Cancun, correct? Yeah, it's outside of Cancun and like Playa del Carmen. Oh, yeah, right. I went to yeah. there for our honeymoon and then we went there for our first year anniversary. So, um, yeah, we really enjoyed it when we went there. We haven't been there in a very long time, though. Yeah, we haven't either. We're actually, my sister's getting married there. Oh, my gosh. That's fine. Uh, yeah, in November. So, we're going to be going back. It's a different resort, but yeah. we're going to be back in the area in November. So, I'm really excited. Oh, that's great. Well, that's exciting. Well, let's get started. How about you share a little bit about yourself? So, your name, where you are from, and how many kids you have? Sure. My name is Dana Snook, and I am a registered dietitian. I live in New Jersey currently, and I have one daughter. She's five and a half, and her name is Aubrey. Now, um, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, that's been a long journey for me. I started out as a dietitian who worked with mostly adults in like a clinical setting in a hospital, and it really didn't work for me. It was a good job. It taught me a lot of stuff, but I just didn't really feel like it was my thing. And so I was living in New York City at the time. I decided that I wanted to move back to New Jersey. And I started going on job interviews. And I went on this one job interview, and it was actually for an adult position in an outpatient setting. And while I was there, the director said to me, what would you think about taking a pediatric position? Would you be interested? So kind of my personality was like, yeah, sure, I'll try it out. But I went into it saying, like, you know, I don't have a lot of experience. At this point, I was single. I did not have any children. I didn't know you know, I knew what I learned in school, but I didn't have a lot of practical experience. And they said, oh, we'll train you. And so I said, okay, but it turned out I didn't get very much training at all. And I really felt like I was drowning because here I am, this young dietitian with no kids. And I kind of, in school, we learn what to feed children, but we don't actually learn how to feed them. So these parents were coming in and saying, okay, we're following your advice, but things aren't changing and all this stuff. And I was like, I need to find some kind of resources, training, something to make me go a little bit deeper. And I literally went on Google and said, how to feed children. 
and up popped Ellen Satter's work. And I ordered every single one of her books. I used to commute on, on a train at that point. So every day to and from work, I would read these books and they just really resonated with me. And that's kind of how I got involved with the Division of Responsibility of Feeding and all of Ellen Saunders' work. In, and that's how I kind of transitioned and not talking to much as much about what we feed children, but how we feed children and then how that changes their relationship with food and how they grow up with food and all of those kind of things that are involved in raising children with a good relationship with food. Yeah. And can you um, repeat yourself on the author that you were reading her books? Yeah, her name is Ellen Satter. So oh, it's Ellen E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she has many books. She has, um, if you have children anywhere from zero to preschool, she has a book that's Child of Mine. And then if you have a child and you're concerned about them not weighing a, enough weight or that you feel like they weigh too much, she has another one called um, Your Child's Weight Helping Without Harming. And then mm. she has an awesome book. If a parent is struggling with their own relationship with food Mm, and they're trying to do more around family feeding, she has a book that's called Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family. And so that kind of incorporates the parents and the children into that perspective. Well, yeah. And you know, I've, and I've seen this before too, right? You, you have kids that are really underweight and it's not that their parents aren't feeding them. Um, maybe they're really picky eaters and then you're trying to get them to eat. Or then you might have some kids that are a little bit overweight. And then it's like, how do you deal with that? And, and, and without trying to shame them, but you know, you don't want them to get to a very unhealthy weight and just kind of, you know, a poor body image, um, really young so that they, you know, you don't want them to feel like they stand out and it's like, why am I different? So I feel like parents kind of get stuck and paralyzed and they don't know really know what to do. And kind of like what you're saying as moms too, right? You're losing that baby, the baby weight and you're struggling yourself and you're trying to not put that onto your kids and, and stuff like that. So this is why I thought it would be so great for you to come on so that we can dive into these topics and have some tools to help our kids have a healthy, view on food. Yeah. And I think that as our culture, we live in a culture highly focused on diet and changing our bodies and focusing a lot on that. And what we're finding and what I'm seeing in my private practice when I'm working with clients one-on-one is we're seeing more and more kids coming in with disordered eating and eating disorders. And really a lot of it, when we, we look back and we look at what these early issues around feeding They don't help a child to have a good relationship with all food. And so my work is to kind of go back and say, okay, how can we make, how can, what was not going well in regards to feeding and how can we make it better so your child has a good relationship with food? Exactly. Well, and that leads me into my first question. So what does it mean to raise children with a healthy relationship with food? Yeah, I, you know, the favorite My favorite thing that I always say to every parent that walks in my office so that they have a true understanding of where I'm coming from as we're going to work together, my goal for parents is not about how is your child going to eat today, tomorrow, or maybe even next month or even next year. It really is how is your child's relationship with food going to look like over the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And this is where parents sometimes, and again, this is no fault of a parent because we live in this society that's telling us, giving us a lot of food banter, like this is good, this is bad, those type of things. And it's really just not helping our children overall. And so raising children with a healthy relationship with food, it really means raising them with a relationship with all foods. 
And so how can we do that best so that they can sit down at a table, eat the foods their body likes, eat when they're hungry, and then stop when they're full so that they don't develop all of these other issues that come out when we're kind of interfering with their eating. Okay. Yeah. So I I feel like parents are probably thinking, okay, so this sounds awesome. (laughs) Like, how do we do this? So as a parent, what would you say our responsibility is for our kids to eat well? Like, how does that look? And and so like a lot of the, a lot of the listeners have young kids. So say we're starting with toddlers. Okay. Um, What does that look like? Because for them, the toddlers would want to eat goldfish all day long, or they would (laughs) want to eat cookies if you let them. So what is your thoughts on, okay, so, you know, you want, you, you want them to be able to eat foods and stuff like that, but you also have to be the parent. So what does that look like? How can you help us try to figure out that balance without kind of damaging them or, you know, just kind of having them have a disorder to eating, but also not getting super overweight and unhealthy. Yeah. And I think that's where we have to look at what the division of responsibility says with Ellen Satter's work. So in the division of responsibility with feeding, it gives us as parents a job. Our job is to decide what to serve our children, when to serve it to our children and where to serve it at. And then our children have their job. Their job is to decide what to eat from what is served and how much to eat from what is served. So as the parents, if we dissect a little bit further, as parents, our job is to do the when and the where. These are the easiest ones for me to talk about so I can talk about them really quickly. Um, When to feed. You know, if we specifically talk about toddlers, and really I would actually say anywhere from your your 12-month-old, anywhere until probably your six, seven, eight-year-old, kids do well having a schedule where they're eating about every three-ish hours. And I always say ish because, you know, you have to look at what works best for your kids. So mm-hmm. is right. it might be two and a half hours for your child. It might be four hours on another time. Naps play a part into that. Bedtime, you know, all those kind of things. But somewhere around every three hours, your child should be having a either meal or a sit-down snack. And that kind of goes into the where children don't do, and really adults don't either. We don't multitask well. So if we're trying to focus on eating and we're distracted by other things, whether it's the phone, the iPads, the tablets, television, all of those things, those are going to interfere with a child being able to do a good job at the table because they might be doing a good job watching the show and not doing a very good job at eating. Or they might be doing a great job at eating and then not watching the show, but it doesn't usually go that way. So what will happen is that sometimes kids, especially toddlers, they will undereat when they're distracted by television. So they'll do a lot of grazing where they'll take a, you know, a hand, a cup of goldfish, put them in their mouth, walk away, come back and do it again. Yeah. So you're saying have them just sit at a table without any distractions. This is your snack is what you're suggesting. Exactly. And so what it teaches your young children is that when you sit here at this table, this allows you to do your job of eating. And then when you get up, your job is to do play, you know, watch TV, any of the other things that you want to do. And then the hardest part, you know, and it's not really the hardest part, but probably the most complicated part. And this is where I work with clients more one-on-one is what to serve your children. Because children, especially since you brought up toddlers, toddlers are erratic eaters um, behaviorally that's, and developmentally, that's just where they are in life. And so a toddler will like something one day, 
and reject it the next. And that's totally normal. But as parents, we kind of get upset because if we serve them, you know, let's say we serve strawberries one day and then the next day we, we serve strawberries and they reject them. Like, we're like, why did they reject them? They liked them. You know, they ate a whole pint of them yesterday type of thing. Yes. But it's really part of this is teaching our children to be intuitive eaters. So if they like them one day, it doesn't mean they're going to want them the next day. It doesn't mean they don't like them. They just might not want them. So having a lot of variety on the table is important because as parents, we get to decide, oh, I'm in the mood for chicken, rice, and broccoli today. So I'm going to serve that for dinner. But it doesn't actually mean that your child is in the mood for chicken, rice, and broccoli. And so having that variety at the table so that they can find something on the table that they can fill up on is important. So here's my question though. Okay, so you have that variety and I totally get what you're saying, but I know my daughter, she would not opt for the protein and she would just eat the carbs. She would. She's pretty good with vegetables depending on what, what vegetables they are. Um, so how do you work that in, in regards to, I mean, you're not going to most likely make chicken and, you know, another protein and then have that. So how do you keep them from just carb loading and just eating all rice for their dinner? Yeah. And that's the part that's hard for parents because in this approach, you are not, you are letting them take the lead of what they do decide to eat. And one thing I will say nutritionally toddlers particularly have really low protein needs. So the average toddler only needs between 16 and 20 grams of protein a day. And for the listeners that might not know what that looks like, two cups of milk, like eight ounce, two eight ounce cups of milk actually equals 16 grams of protein a day. Mm. There's also protein in rice. So for every serving of rice, there's three grams of protein for you know, one ounce of chicken. So one ounce of chicken is just a very small amount. There's seven grams of protein. Even if your child were to eat goldfish or pretzels, there's usually between two to three grams per serving in those. So that they get, their protein needs are not really Mm, high. I see. And so a lot of times you will find that your toddler will go for mostly carbohydrates because they are growing really rapidly and they're busy. Toddlers Mm, are typically, you know, they're getting Mm -hmm. into lots of stuff. They're running away. They're, you know, all those type of things. And so because they're, they're burning through their food so quickly, they actually crave more carbohydrates and that's what their body needs versus protein is really just used to build, you know, to maintain or well to build muscle and stuff right. like that, but they yeah. don't have as much of that in the toddler sure. years because of the way that their bodies are designed at that point. So now what age do you feel like, okay, you really do need to start kind of seeing them eat a little bit more protein and they're just not carb loading? Or are you still feeling like even at four, five, six, it's okay that they're just eating rice for dinner? Yeah. And I, so one thing to talk about, which we'll take a step back is there's different developmental stages that play into feeding too. So in the toddler stage, they are in something called the separation individualization stage. And in this stage of development, a child is learning that they're their own person separate from you. So prior to that, they're in the attachment phase where they like, they actually feel like they're one with you, like Mm -hmm. that you're kind of like the same person. Yes. Starting around seven months, they start to understand that they are separate from you. So, a toddler will do best when they have a little bit of autonomy around their eating Mm. because they're learning their own person. So if you try to get them to eat more protein, 
the toddler's automatic response, whether they want the protein or not, is going to be no. Because they're trying to show you that they're their own person and that they don't have to do that. They can do what they want to do. And so it kind of gets into the battle. And why I I went backwards a little bit too is because the next stage of development is the initiative stage of development. This starts between uh, around three years old and goes to about six years old. And in the initiative stage of development, in regards to feeding specifically, children are actually wanting to please you and they're wanting to mimic you. Mm. So if you can make it through the toddler stage and allowing them have a lot of autonomy around their eating not get into food battles, let them take the lead and intuitively listen to their bodies. When they get to be the three to, th- three to six years old, they'll actually do a better job with eating because now they don't have any, there's no, there's no uh, desire for them to like fight against right, you Right, to show much. that they're independent, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And parents will come to me and say, well, I have a five-year-old and they're still fighting against me. And I said, well, that's because, you know, you've been fighting with them since they've been a year old. And so we have to go backwards and give right. them some more autonomy so that they can move forward and not feel like they have to fight you anymore, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I noticed my three-year-old, um, so she'll be four in May, and I feel like she's gotten so much better at eating uh, more variety of food. And uh, where at two, I felt like, oh my gosh, like she didn't even want to <laughs> eat cheese. Like she wasn't even eating, she didn't even want to eat pizza. Like she didn't even eat, want to eat what you would think kids would want to eat. And so I was literally bringing hummus with me everywhere we went. And she pretty much lived on hummus, uh, her whole two year old life. And, um, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was funny. It's like, we'd be at birthday parties. I'm like, oh, here's her little hummus cup. And, uh, so, so I guess what I want to try to figure out is, you know, families are having dinners because, you know, there's there's a big there's a big discussion about, um, you know, I'm not making multiple dinners. Um, I'm not a short order cook. You're going to eat what we eat. I'm not doing this. So how do you how how do you do this without making the mom become a short order cook and also not forcing them uh, to eat things that they may not necessarily want to eat and kind of keeping it a little bit more balanced? Like, what is your suggestion? Like, if you can give us an idea for like, um, uh, some, maybe like a client you've had to work through um, and give us an idea for dinner, like what they had to do that ended up working. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I am, I love what you say as moms or dads, whoever is cooking, feeding the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, cooking and putting the food on the table. Our jobs when we signed up for this was not to be a cook, like a short order cook. Mm-hmm. Our job is to be a parent and provide nourishing meals on the table. They should be enjoyable and they shouldn't be feel stressful. So that I love that you said about the short order cook because I am 100% behind that because when clients do come in my office and listen, I get a lot of these clients in my office because they are so at the end of the rope. They're mm-hmm. like, I just cannot take it anymore. Right. I'm making, I have three children. I'm making five different dinners. <laughs> yeah. I'm asking everybody what they want. And I'm like, no, that ends today <laughs> because it's just, it, no one's doing good. And there's so much stress around it that of course, no one's enjoying mealtime because the parent is stressed out because they're exhausted. And then the child is not doing well nutritionally because they're eating the same food over and over again. So what I, but, but there has been some talk, you know, some people say, well, if you tell sometimes um, medical providers and not in any, they just don't know what to tell parents. So they'll say, oh, well, don't make anything special. And eventually they'll eat. And that's not always the case because your really strong willed children 
they will go on a food strike and say, well, if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm not going to eat. So my best advice for parents is that think about what you want to eat and then add things to the table that you know that your kids can fill up on. So as an example, if I was like, oh, I'm really in the mood for salmon, but let's say my daughter might not be a huge salmon eater. I might say, okay, what can I add with the salmon on the table that I know that she can eat? So let's say, you know, I, in my daughter's situation, she loves rice. So if I put, say, okay, I'm going to put salmon on the table. She might not like that, but I have rice on the table. And then maybe I put, you know, peaches on the table because she likes peaches. And then I have some, maybe some rolls on the table and maybe I have milk on the table. So what I'm doing is I'm making, I'm being considerate to my children, but without being, without catering to exactly what they want. So here's my question. What if your daughter just decides to eat five rolls. <laughs> yeah, and, and that will happen. And when I work with clients that have been going, like had, you know, this disorderedness around the feeding and eating their kids, I always warn parents after the first session, when we put rolls on the table with butter, your child is only going to eat rolls and butter for the next three to five days. Mm. But what happens is when they intuitively get enough rolls after, you know, a couple of days, what they'll do is say, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And it does go on for a few days. I always warn parents because I want them to not freak out when, yeah. Cause I know my daughter would pick that (laughs) my youngest. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, but what will happen after a few days is a child, they will not necessarily not eat the rolls, but they will stop eating five rolls. And then when they're allowed to have more of that autonomy, then they'll go, oh, okay, I'm kind of sick of rolls. Mm. Maybe I will. Oh, can I try some of that rice type of thing? So it's really, it, it's one of these magical things that I can't really, I know it happens and parents that take the risk and they trust me, they come back and they're like, oh my God, I was so nervous. We were five days in. My kid was only eating, you know, rolls and butter. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, on the sixth day, they asked me to put something else on their plate, you know, type of thing. So it is one of those things, you know, Ellen Satter's model is a trust model of feeding because it takes a whole lot of trust on our parent, yeah. on our part oh, as yeah. parents mm-hmm. to trust our children. Um, I remember the first time I ever started teaching this method, I had this parent that was like, you like, you're not like no way. And, but she, for some reason, even thought she, though she thought I was not, she did trust me. And so she did it. And I remember she came back a week later and she said, like, I was so ready to give up. And then Mm. like the last day before she saw me, her son was like, nah, I'm sick of bread. Interesting. Yeah. You know, but it was like, because he was never allowed to have as much bread as he wanted, it took him several days to get enough bread that he had enough that he kind of moved past it. I think what's scary in some senses, like I, so in high school, I was eating a lot of bagels and cream cheese like that. Just I feel like the bagel era. So I was in Michigan. So not like New York City where that probably had been there for a long time. But um, and I would just eat that a lot and a lot. And but then I feel like I then always went to carbs later. And then I feel like that's a struggle with my weight because I always want carbs. And my sister, for example, always she kind of craved protein and I didn't want protein. So there is a part of me, I think, that gets nervous that like, oh, you let them eat so much carbs. They're just going to want to eat carbs all the time because I know that is my go to my natural lean 
I would probably, I mean, if you told me I couldn't ever have protein, I would miss it because I feel like anytime you're told that you can't have anything, you kind of <laughs> don't want that. Um, but I could easily probably consume 90% of carbs. Like, uh, and when, when I say that, I don't mean vegetables. I mean bread and all that kind of stuff. So what is your thoughts on that? Like, um, and I don't know if that changes as a teenager versus, you know, we're talking about young kids. So I don't know um, if that plays a big role or not because of the age groups. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah. So anytime that we feel that we have to try to restrict ourselves from anything, the opposite is going to happen. And you gave a prime example with the uh, protein. So if, if I were to, you know, nobody ever walks in my office and says, Dana, I'm addicted to broccoli. Nobody. Because in our society, we have an unconditional permission to eat as much broccoli as that we, as we want. But people do walk into my office and say, you know, and I'm addicted to cookies or cake or ice cream or sugar or whatever carbs, you know, whatever those type of foods are that they feel bad about eating. And that's why this approach is a little bit different because it's teaching children not to have biases around food so that they don't know the difference. So for example, I can put on the table chicken, rice, broccoli, and a whole package of Oreos on my table. Now, granted, full disclosure for anybody listening, that I have been doing this model with my daughter since the day that she was born. So she doesn't have any preconceived notions around mm. food. Yeah. But I can put all of those foods on the table, and there are times that my daughter will not even want the cookies. Wow. Because That's impressive. She, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't know the difference. Like To her, broccoli and cookies are on the same playing field because they're served on the table at the same time. And I trust her to intuitively listen to her body to eat the food that she wants. And that's the hard part. And, you know, and this is where I always talk about, you know, what's our role as parents with healing our own relationship with food in order to do a better job for our children. Because if we struggle around certain foods ourselves, those fears of our own are going to like trickle down into our children. So if we feel we don't have control, you know, I put I'm air quotes control around carbohydrates. It will lead us to fear that our children can't have control around carbohydrate type foods. Hey, you guys, today's sponsor is by an amazing mom named Jill Wiley, and she loves to share her passion for doTERRA essential oils. doTERRA essential oils are pure, safe, natural, and effective. If you've been sitting on the fence to trying essential oils, this is your perfect opportunity. Jill is offering mom-inspired show listeners a special. If you buy the doTERRA Family Essential Kit, also known as the Feel Better Kit, this kit includes 10 of the most popular oils. She is going to give you a free roller kit set, either the Baby and Mama or the Happy and Healthy Kids set. So if you've been wondering what all the hype is about with essential oils and not knowing which company to trust, this is the perfect time to try it out. You will get amazing products that are safe for you and your family, and you will also get one-on-one -on -one support from Jill with any questions you may have. If you want to check out the roller kits, make sure to go to mominspiredshow.com forward slash oil kits, and you will find Jill's contact information there. Let's get back to the show. Right. And I can see a lot of moms just kind of holding their breath right now because it's just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, 
Like, I feel like if I put Oreos on the table, I feel like who needs to eat the chicken? Let's <laughs> right, just eat right. the Oreos. And so, um, so then do you not um, go over uh, the, like the nutritional value with your daughter? Like, cause you're saying she thinks that broccoli and Oreos are kind of the same. So do you, do you not go over like, you know, that the broccoli and all that may give you more energy than Oreos and you may feel better? Or do you just let her figure out which one doesn't make her feel as good and which one might make her feel better? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So with food, I don't believe in teaching young children about nutrition because nutrition is an abstract concept and it's abstract because we can't see it. But the way nutrition is taught to children is very concrete and it's taught in black and white. Like this is good, this is bad. And what what we do know from the research is that children that look as a food as bad are more likely to feel guilt after eating it. And because they feel guilt after eating it, then they feel bad about themselves after eating it. So what it looks like in a child's head, if they think that cookies are bad, they will say, oh, cookies are bad. I ate cookies, so therefore I'm bad. Mm. And this mm-hmm. has been shown as kids as early as three years old that they hear these food messages, but they don't hear them in the way that we think that they hear them. And I can give you a really good example that happened with my daughter recently. And like I said, she's five. And keep in mind, I have she's grown up in a very neutral food environment where I don't talk about this stuff. But she is in kindergarten now. And she was at the Valentine's Day party. And I guess they must have had candy. And one of the teachers said, um, you can't have your candy now. And I don't know what the exact words were because it was hard to get it out of my daughter. But like it, she, they said, you can't have the candy now. And I think they said because it's not good for you. Mm. And so then that day, ironically, came home and she woke up with a fever the next day. And she said, mommy, I think I know why I have a fever. And I said, you do? Why? She said, because daddy let me have two things with sugar in it last night for snack. Mm. And I said, huh? I said, how come you think that because you ate two things with sugar, you have a fever and it made you sick? And she said, well, the teachers today told me that we couldn't have our candy because it wasn't good for us. So at no point did that teacher ever say to my daughter, when you eat candy, you're going to get a fever. But their minds are so imaginative sure. that they actually make up these uh, these stories in their own heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they don't hear these messages the same way that we're giving them. So as adults, like we can like think about it, we have more problem solving, we can understand these on a deeper level. But for our kids when we give these blanket messages, they don't really know what they are. And then that causes them to ha- have like bad thoughts about foods and then think badly about themselves if they do eat them. Now, is there a certain age that you can start teaching this and that they understand it better? And you're going to be really shocked when you hear this, but the actual age is 13. Oh, interesting. Because they still Mm -hmm. under the under 13, they still don't really get it is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, They don't get it. And they're not because they are not able to grasp these concepts and really have like problem solving techniques to like, understand fully around it. You know, and I'll give you another example. Sometimes kids fall into my office and typically I only work with parents if the child's under eight, but sometimes I'll have kids come into my office um, and they're maybe they're even over eight and they'll say, t- and I say, Oh, you know, why do you think mom and dad made the appointment for you today? And they'll say, well, cause I don't eat well. 
And I say, oh, what does that mean to you that you don't eat well? Well, I eat a lot of junk. And I say, okay, so tell me what junk is to you. And so they'll start naming the typical foods that they've heard, you know, cookies, ice cream, you know, whatever it is. Every kid's different what they say. And I'll say, oh, and so tell me, what do you think is a good food for you? And they'll say apples or, you know, a fruit or whatever. And I'll say, okay, so why do you think that an apple is good for you? And it goes silent. They mm. So they just don't understand. They can regurgitate the information that they hear from us, but they mm-hmm. can't have a deep understanding of the information. And therefore, they don't. Like they don't have the skills to be to rationalize, like, oh, it's okay to have them sometimes, th- that type of thing. So when we go back, you know, looking at, okay, so if a parent is trying to is listening to this and it's really resonating with them, because it resonates with a lot of parents because they go, Oh my gosh, my mom did that to me, or my dad did that to me, or yeah, I really grew up like feeling bad about eating these foods and I don't want that to do that for my child. The best way to neutralize those foods is to actually serve those types of foods with a meal. Because if you can, like when we go back to me serving chicken, rice, and broccoli and Oreos on the table, if a child can see that all of those foods are served at the same time and that they can have those foods in any order that they want, a child becomes automatically more relaxed. First, they think their parents are a little crazy if they haven't been able to, they haven't been doing that before. But after that, they get more relaxed. And it's the hardest thing for parents that I work with to implement, but parents say it's the most, it's the most amazing thing that when their child, and believe me, again, back to the bread and butter situation, the first time you put Oreos on the table, your child is going to eat them first. Um, And maybe only. (laughs) And and maybe only, but it's the same thing with the bread and the butter. Once they've had enough Oreos, they will stop and maybe not eat it. Mm. And I used to call it like my, you know, my little sideshow with my daughter because I would go out to dinner. I remember she was probably about three. We were traveling in Florida. We met up with people that we knew and we went out to dinner. And I think she was, I think she ordered a kid's meal and it came with ice cream usually at the end. And I said to the waitress, can you bring out the ice cream at the same time as the whole meal? And that's always gets mixed um, look oh, sure. when I asked yeah. for that. I literally had one time a, a waiter put the ice cream on the plate with my daughter's food. And I was like, I didn't mean on the same plate. I just oh meant my at the gosh, same time. that's hilarious. Like it's like rolling into like the yeah. food. <laughs> yeah. And so what happened and like these, this couple was sitting there with us and my daughter ignored the ice cream and asked for some of my salad. And the people were like, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Now, granted, she probably went on to take a few bites of the ice cream, sure. but most of it melted. But I and as I said to the couple, she doesn't know any different because I don't talk to her a lot about it. It's all ser- served very neutrally in our house. And so, and she's often used to there being a dessert type food at the meal. And therefore it do- it's no different to her. It doesn't feel special or anything like that. So here's my question, though. Some people just may not want to have a lot of sugar in the house. So do you feel like people need to be bringing in the sugar so that they get used to eating the sugar? You know, uh, like that that's where for me, we don't we don't really have dessert on a normal basis. So to bring dessert in on dinner would seem very odd. So is it because that you guys would have like, well, you said you started this before she was born, but like, are you just used to having dessert after dinner before all of this? So then you're like, let's just bring the dessert and put it with the dinner. 
Yeah. Well, let me just say, I didn't start this until after I had her. I did, you know, I grew up traditional parent who said like dessert is after dinner, you know, that type of thing. So I never would have served dessert with dinner before having my, my daughter. And this is where my own evolution, where I got better at this. Yeah. Um, was because when I had my daughter, I actually, and full disclosure, I had to, you know, I'm a, a traditionally trained dietitian. So I had to put some of my own biases around Mm, food mm -hmm. that I learned in school aside in order to raise my daughter with a good relationship with all food, because I never wanted my daughter to feel out of control with Oreos. I never wanted her to feel like she was out of control with carbs or out of control with anything. I wanted her to be able to eat those foods eat them until she was full and move on. And so I had to work with my own food bias so that I could do this for her. And this is the part where I started out the podcast saying that this method really isn't about today, tomorrow, Mm, or next year. This is really, what are your long-term goals for your child with the relationship with food? And I'll give you an example. I grew up in a house. My sister was diagnosed with type one diabetes when Mm, I was, um, I was 13 and she was six. And so you can imagine back then that was over 20 years ago. And she had, we had to take all sugar out of the Mm. house. And so there was no sugar sweetened cereals. There was never soda in the house. There was none of that stuff because back then how we handle type one diabetes is different now, but it was, it was very strict back then The, the insulins were different and all that kind of stuff. And so I never learned to manage soda. I'll use that as one of my examples. There's many things I never didn't learn to manage myself, but when I got to college, and for anybody that's listened to this has been to college, you know, your first year, you typically live in the dorm and you go to the dining facility, which is an all-you-eat buffet. I drank a lot of soda. Mm. And one of the things I look back and I said, I never learned how to manage soda Yeah, because it wasn't, and again, no fault to my parents, but it was never in the house. So when you look at, okay, what is your long-term goal for your children is teaching them to manage the foods now. So when they get to be eight, 10, 15, 19 years old, that they don't feel like they have to go to their friend's house and gorge on the candy or, you know, those type of things. I just wrote a blog post actually two weeks ago about this because my daughter um, came up to me at the grocery store. We went family grocery shopping, which is a whole nother level because my husband was with me too. And I sent them to the cereal aisle and I usually buy like the same type of cereals. And she came back with Lucky Charms. And as you can imagine, growing up with a sister with type one diabetes, Lucky Charms was definitely not in our house. Right. And so my (laughs) first thought was, heck no. <laughs> like we're not putting yeah. lucky, we're not buying lucky charms. And so I took a step back and I had to check my own self. And I said, why lucky charms? And she said, oh, I saw it on my YouTube show, <laughs> you know, so That's insert hilarious. eye roll. Yeah. Like yeah. insert eye roll. So <laughs> it's like, she has no understanding what lucky charms is. She just watched it on the show and she decided right. that's what she wanted. So I said, okay, Dana, it's okay to bring them lucky charms. It's not a big deal. Just, you know, a little box. So we put the lucky charms in the, in the, uh, you know, in the cart. And again, she doesn't know I'm having this internal talk with myself. So the next morning she's so excited. I want my lucky charms. I said, okay, again, put on the lucky charms on the table, but I also put other stuff on the table. So I think we had on the table, English muffins, you know, I'd had butter and uh, jelly. And we had fruit on the table and milk on the table with it. And so she pours her lucky charm. She takes three bites and she's like, 
I don't like these Lucky Charms. The only thing I like about it is the blue milk. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And it was like this epiphany for me that I said, oh my gosh, if I never bought those Lucky Charms, she wouldn't have known. She would have spent her whole life yeah. thinking she would let, she wanted Lucky Charms and her mom wouldn't buy them. And then maybe she would have gone to college and eaten Lucky Charms just because she didn't I didn't have let it. her ever have them. Yeah. But in the end, she'll never ask me for Lucky Charms again, or maybe she will in five years from now. But it's she really understood that she had no desire to eat them Lucky Charms. She didn't like the taste. She pushed the bowl to the side and she moved on and she ate the other food that she normally mm. eats that she does like better. So do you guys give her, so I'm from Michigan, then we call it pop. So, but I live oh, yes, in Tennessee yes. and they call it soda. So I yes. feel bipolar in that situation. I'm like, pop soda. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so do you give her soda? So that's a good question. So my answer, if I had talked to you three days ago, would have been no, um, because she hasn't, she's had a taste here and there. Um, I'm not a soda drinker. My husband is not a soda drinker. So it's just not something we provide usually in the house. She has been at a restaurant once and had like a Shirley Temple, which she liked, but didn't really care too much about. But ironically, my, we were having, going to a friend's house and my husband bought Sprite to make Shirley Temple's at it. Mm. And we had it in the house the other day and she said, mom, can I have some of this with dinner? And again, I had to check my own self and I said, yeah, that's fine. You can have um, one small glass of it. And then when you're done with it, you can have water. She said, Okay. And it's funny because I actually, the next morning was dumping out the glasses. I think she took three sips of it and moved on. So I don't make soda an intentional thing that I do serve, but I still go back to my own thoughts around the soda. And it's like, I do want her to know that they're not off limits. It's just something we don't serve in the house all the time. Okay. So you, so this is my question. Um, So why would you quantify how much Shirley Temple she could have where she could have a whole like, you know, sleeve of Oreos if she wanted. Yeah. And that's a good point. And so let me go. I, and as we were talking before, I do want to backtrack when parents are starting serving dessert and, and this will go into the soda part of it too. When you're starting to do these things and if you haven't been doing them all along, I actually do say to start serving one serving of those foods with a meal. So like if you were going to do Oreo cookies and depending on the age of your child, like, so if your children are like in the toddler or preschool, maybe like two Oreo cookies is, is a good amount serving, or maybe three as they get a little bit older, whatever it is for you. And then you actually do just serve one serving of those foods. And then once they finish those, they can go on to eat the rest of the meal. Now, I've never, you know, and again, this is the part where I said full disclosure, I've never had to go back and do that because I've mm, always done this with right, her, but right. a family that is just starting out and, and even in the soda respect, um, I just want to, you know, it's one of those things I don't serve a lot in the house. So I was like, I wanted to say like, you know, just one of that, cause I wanted to see what would happen with it. Um, and again, as you see, it didn't, it didn't make a difference that I said one, cause she probably took a few sips sure. and then didn't drink any more of it anyway, but that was a good point to bring up because I would not recommend because not, be, you know, I don't mind if a parent does it. If you want to serve the whole thing of Oreos on the table, go for it. But I find most parents anxiety around that will be too high to try that. So parents sometimes feel better. It's like, okay, well, if I can start with just one serving, so everybody gets two Oreo cookies at their plate. And then you say to the child, you can eat, eat it in any order you want. But when you're done with it, then you move on and you eat the rest of the food that's on your tray type of thing. 
Now, so that also leads me to ask this question. So they eat the two Oreos and they have three bites of rice and they're, and they say they're done. So are in your mind, is that fine? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, and so you let them down from the table, say you're done. Okay. Are you sure you're done? Because we're not eating again until and three you tell hours them or something. Time. Okay. Yep. In three yep. hours. So we're not okay. eating again until after bath time, or we're not sure. eating again until tomorrow morning. Right. And so your child, you're setting that limit for them to know that, okay, all you ate was Oreos and some rice. And mm-hmm. then that's where the teaching moments can happen. So if a child comes back to you 30 minutes later and says, I'm hungry, this is where the teaching moment happens where you can say, well, you know, tonight for dinner, all you ate was rice and you know Oreos. Do you think maybe you didn't fill up enough? And sometimes, you know, and depending yeah. on the age of the child, they will usually say yes, or And then you say, okay, so, um, you know, we're going to have a snack in a little while and then you can have some more to eat then type of thing. But that's the part where like kids, you have to kind of the gentle understanding of like, that might not be enough. And this came up in my private Facebook group the other day. Cause one of the moms said like, you know, I do sometimes give these gentle talks around nutrition because she says, I see how sometimes like if her children only eat a handful of pretzels, then they go outside and play for an hour. They come in like famished. And so she started to have these gentle talks where like, you know, carb, like the carbohydrates, they burn up quickly. And so maybe you should have a protein with it. I absolutely think that that is fine because it's a positive thing. You're not talking about it in a negative way. It's talking about a, a more nourishing way. And I've begun to have those gentle talks with my daughter. Like if she's helping me pack her lunch for school or for her snack for school, and if she picks oh, I want to bring cookies and goldfish. I might say something, well, those are kind of like the same thing. So why don't we put the cookies in your lunch and the goldfish for your snack, but let's pick out something else to go with your goldfish. And she'll say like, like what? And then I'll say, well, how about some nuts or how about a cheese stick or how about um, a yogurt? And then she'll go, oh, okay. And then she'll kind of pick. So I help to guide her gently so that as she grows up, she can say, oh, okay, when mom used to serve me snack, I used to eat something that had carb in it and then something that had protein in it. You know, so as she gets older, she can like understand that a little bit more, but she doesn't necessarily have to understand it fully at this age type of thing. Yeah, and I agree. I do that with my six-year-old, you know, like when we kind of look at her lunch, it's, you know, it's a divider lunch thing, right? And so um, she'll say, oh, I want this. And, you know, I'll say, well, that kind of is the same thing, kind of like what you just said. Yep. And it's kind of like we need, um, she loves pistachio nuts. So, you know, we can have that or the yogurt or something. And so she kind of gets it. She's also almost seven, you know, where I could say that to my three-year-old, almost four-year-old. And she would just look at me kind of like, what? <laughs> like, I just want what I want, you know? And so, <laughs> um, so. Well, it's interesting because yeah. you have the kids in all the different developmental ages. Yes. Like you have the toddler, you know, the <laughs> yep. preschool, the right. end She's of the going into the preschool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Preschool. Mm-hmm. And then you have the children, the, the, the adolescents going into the seven. School, yeah. Yeah. The school age. So it's funny. You can kind of see the differences of oh, their yeah. understanding. Yeah. Um, like through the, through the different ages too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Dana, we're almost at the end and I just wanted to touch base on, uh, the snack portion of things. Um, so, 
when the kids come in for their snack, uh, do you let them just pick out the snack? Or again, are you kind of putting out three options uh, for snack? How does that work for a snack? Because I'm, I'm sure everyone's thinking, okay, so am I not giving them a goldfish? Am I just giving them goldfish and Oreos and something like, so what is your thoughts <laughs> as we yeah. end this? Yeah. So my, my recommendation is, is I think giving kids choices is great. Like if you open the cabinet and say, what do you want? Yes. Your kid is going to grab goldfish, cookies, chips, you know, all those type of things. So I usually give a choice. So like say, and I say, okay, pick out something you want for a snack. And then I round out the snack myself. So if she were to choose goldfish, then I might grab yogurts and throw them on the table, or I might grab cheese sticks or nuts or whatever. And I round it out with the protein. Um, if you have multiple kids, then maybe you put three things on the snack. You let, you know, them pick each pick one thing, and then you add something else to the table. So I think that's the best way to do it is so you're giving them a little bit of autonomy, um, to listen to their bodies and pick what they're craving, but then you're rounding out the meal so that, or the snack, so that it has a little bit more balance. So with that, what if they're like, I'm still hungry, I'm still hungry. Do you just keep letting them have the options that you have, like keep getting, so say they've had um, a yogurt stick and a half a cup of goldfish and they're still hungry. What do you do with that? I Yeah, you would let them have more of what goldfish you have on, and, on the table. Okay, yeah. So what if, but what if, what if they've eaten what's on the table and they're like, I'm, I'm still hungry. What do you do then? I would add more, more of more of the same options of what you just had. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like I actually recommend, especially in your situation, you have three children So parents with multiple children, you know, I would put the whole bag of goldfish on the table and I would grab a handful of the yogurt sticks and throw them Mm. on the table Okay. and then, and let them eat as much as of it as they need to fill up. The only caveat, I'll just add this really quickly, is that if dinner is going to be like in an hour, yeah. that is the only time I say just serve a small snack, Okay, and but let them know why. So it's sure. not because you're trying to restrict them, but say, hey, I know you guys have been outside for hours playing, so I'm going to give, and I know you're starving, I'm going to give you like both a handful of goldfish because we're eating in an hour and I don't want you to ruin your dinner. That's the only time I'd say to limit how much snack if it if it would if it would interfere with the next meal. And I do want to go back. I do think it makes a big difference for kids eating at the table because, you know, I don't let my kids eat a lot of food in the TV area. Um, but I do notice that you were saying they undereat. Well, mine, I feel like they mindlessly eat like the goldfish, yes. right? And they can they could keep coming back. So I feel like if you are limiting them to the table, I feel like they're not just going to be in eating forever. It's, it's just like an adult, right? You you could mindlessly eat. That's how I feel like you could gain so much weight. If you're watching TV and just eating, you, you're like, I don't even know how many nuts I ate, you know? Exactly. Because it takes a lot for our body to be satisfied and we can't be satisfied by food if we don't taste it. So if we're watching television, we might be, our belly might get full, like there's belly fullness and there's brain satisfaction. So your belly might be full because you ate enough for your belly, but your brain not, might not be satisfied if you don't taste the food. Yeah. No, so that makes that's sense. where that mindlessness comes. Absolutely. And so, yes, it's very often kids, same thing. They're like, their bellies might be full, but their brain's not satisfied. So they're keep coming back. Yes. For more. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 
And that's where it can go either way. Kids can sometimes undereat, right? Or they can be eating more than what their body needs right. because they're doing it mindlessly. And because they haven't tasted the food, they think that they're still hungry. Oh, for sure. So yeah. now with the snack, is it the same scenario? They need to finish the snack. And then once they get up, they're done. Exactly. Okay. Absolutely. So that's yep. what I think people need to understand that they can't just keep going back and forth because then I do feel like they would just be eating goldfish all the way up to dinner, right? Because they would just keep coming back saying, I'm hungry. You're saying, hey, you can eat as much as you need to to get full, but you have to do it all in one sitting. Exactly. And and kids get bored at the table, especially oh, young I know. kids. Yeah. So, so <laughs> like know. if they have to sit there, yep. they're less likely to graze to on the ton, food. Yes. They're going to like eat the food and be out of there. Yeah, you know, exactly. Thing. Yeah, yep. I noticed that with my younger one. Um. So uh, one last question. Now, if you have a movie night and 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 you guys like to eat popcorn, do you feel like you you allow that kind of behavior to be able to watch popcorn and eat and watch a movie, or are you pretty strict and like no, we only eat at the table? No, absolutely. So I call those special occasions. Okay, and really. The premise behind the trust model of feeding is to bring joy to eating. And I feel like that is a joyful experience that your children will, will remember that we used to sit up, sit on the couch and eat popcorn on movie nights. And I think that that is absolutely fine. Um, and that's where we have to be sometimes a little loose with our, with, with sure, being too stringent around rules right? Um, for the sake of number one, sanity and number two, for having a little bit of fun with our kids also. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, Dana, as we wrap up, where can people find you on social media and your website? Absolutely. So my website is just my name is danasnook.com. So it's D-A-N-A-S-N-O-O-K.com. And I'm also on all of the social media. So if anybody is interested in learning more about this approach, I do have a private um, free Facebook group that you can join. And you can just search that under Family Feeding Academy and just answer the three questions about what you're wanting to learn from the group. And I will approve you to get in there. Um, and also I have over the last year launched infant, toddler and feeding online programs. And so they are all videos on how to implement the trust model of feeding. And uh, whether you buy the videos separate or as a bundle, you get um, support from me in another private Facebook group where I answer all of your questions to help um, parents really fine tune what they're doing also. Awesome. Well, Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show and shedding some light on this whole food situation and just having a different concept of how to feed our children. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, you guys, if you haven't subscribed to the mom inspired show yet, make sure to do that. So there are two ways that you can do it. If you are using your phone to listen to the episodes, you can go into the phone app where you listen to the episodes and you can click subscribe. That way, all new episodes will show up every Tuesday when they air. Or if you're like me, I sometimes like that visual reminder that comes through my email saying, hey, here's a new episode. So if you want to do that, you can go to mominspiredshow.com and then just scroll to the bottom if you're looking at your phone and you can put your name, your email and subscribe. And that way you will get an email every Tuesday reminding you to listen to the show and it will provide you with the show notes and all the links that I provide right at your fingertips. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week.